This episode of the Police One Podcast is sponsored by Officer Store. Learn more about getting the gear you need at prices you can afford by visiting officerstore.com. Hey, you're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Hey, maybe you're watching on YouTube, and if not, check us out. Hey, a critical incident causes a full-on agency response. Perhaps it involves fatalities. Perhaps it involves officer use of force. The scene is secured, and the media creates a narrative that's not quite right. Does your agency respond does your agency have a policy? How soon does your agency chief or sheriff explain the facts to the media and the public? Judy Powell is our guest today, and we're talking about communications, both internal and external to your department. Prior to teaching and consulting full-time, she was an assistant commissioner with the NYPD, serving as an advisor to the police commissioner. Before that, she was director of operations for FBI LIDA, Chief of Staff with the Baltimore and Milwaukee Police Departments, and served as a member of the command staff overseeing public information with the Atlanta, Savannah, and Halifax, Canada Police Departments. Well, welcome to Policing Matters, Judy Powell. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate you having the opportunity to have me on. Hey, first off, I'd like to say how appreciative I am to see your positive messaging and what you've written in professional journals on how to improve law enforcement communications. We surely need to do a better job, don't we? Yes, we do. You know what? I think we're finally starting to get it, Jim. Unfortunately, um, I think if we would have embraced the value of communication 10, 15 years ago, we might not be exactly where we are today. Um, many other people have framed our narrative, the narrative for our profession, the narrative for what we do as law enforcement, and now we're really just playing catch up. Yeah, and I mean, you heard my introduction, and I think too often the narrative, the false narrative in many cases, is allowed to just sort of linger out there and I don't know, 30 days later, we may see a response or a counter. And I think by then it's too late. You've written uh, Preparing for Crisis, a first responder's guide to preparing a crisis communications manual. Who's your target audience and what's your biggest takeaway for them? So the audience is all cops, <laughs> first responders, really. But it's really important that police officers through to the executive suite understand the value of communication. Unfortunately, um, it seems to be you go to the academy and you're told from day one, don't talk to the media, the media are bad. Um, you know, don't say anything to anybody. And we understand the value of that during important investigations, but we also have to realize that we're public servants and our job is to serve our community, let them know what we're doing and why we're doing it. And to what you said, if there is a void for information, that is our fault because we did not provide it, that void will be filled. It's a vacuum. And if we're not going to fill it and provide the correct, timely, accurate information our community needs, we shouldn't be upset or surprised when someone else fills that void. 
And oftentimes it's going to be filled with incorrect information, with disinformation, misinformation, malinformation, everything that we don't want. So long gone are the days when, you know, don't say anything until we know everything. That is, that's the detective's credo. And I understand that. But we can't do that because once, as you mentioned, a narrative is set, I, I liken it to concrete. If we don't get out and frame a narrative, so lay down the two by fours and lay down that first layer of concrete, even if it's as simple as we're aware of this going on, we are there at the scene, this is what we need you to do, even if it's as simple as continue to follow us on social media, we'll provide updates. If, so, if we don't do that, someone else is going to set that narrative. It's going to harden like concrete. And then it's going to take more than being out there with a jackhammer trying to change it. And I think we all remember what happened um, with the whole issue in Ferguson. Hands up, don't shoot. That was a narrative that was completely false, never happened. But that narrative hardened. And you could probably talk to 50% of Americans today that even with all the information that came out, they still believe that that actually happened. So we've got to get better. It's, it's absolutely imperative. Yeah, great analogy with the concrete and great example with Ferguson. We talk about it in my classes about the false narrative and before the police responded and, and maybe they were looking at uh, DNA evidence inside Officer Clark's car and gunshot analysis and all of that. Um, we had the NFL and the NBA and news anchors and everybody standing up protesting, hands up, don't shoot. So you're right. And and today I'll, I'll ask students about it and they, they, can, they still see that as the, the real event that happened. So what's the timeline like? So not only is the public deceived with this false information, but now you've got this internal grinding and morale is affected when the cops know inside baseball, they know what happened in an event and they look to their leaders and the leaders aren't talking. And it can't be about liability. And I've heard this directly from chiefs saying, we're not going to do it. We'll get sued, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? We've been right so many times, still been sued and still give out settlements. So that, that, that's gotta be a, a non-starter. What should the timeline look like? Oh, you said so many things here that I want to address. Uh, so let me put the timeline in my back pocket for a second. Sure. One of the things that, that I talk to police chiefs about all the time is your communications advisor. If that's a PIO or a media relations officer, or whoever that is, whether it's a sworn or professional staff person, needs to be sitting at that same level as legal counsel because legal counsel inevitably will fall back on don't say anything. And chiefs and sheriffs and police leaders have to be able to put their big boy and big girl panties on to say, okay, I'm hearing that point of view, but give me the whole story so I can make the right decision. So if someone isn't in that room pushing back on the don't say anything narrative, the chief 
makes that decision and we won't say anything because this is what law has said to me. But if there's someone else whispering in the other ear that says, boss, if we don't say anything, here are the ramifications. Here are the pros and cons of saying nothing. Here are the pros and cons of saying this much. Here are the pros and cons of saying this. Now, as a boss, you can make a decision because you have all the information. And most bosses will defer to legal if they don't hear anything else. But once they hear, boss, if we don't say something, this is what's going to happen. It's amazing how they do the 180 and say, okay, we need to say something. So you also mentioned internal comms. And that is one of my passions. We have long past the time where it's, you know, can't tell you, have to kill you kind of thing. Um, and people on the job today, young people on the job today are very, very different than when you and I were, were in the game, you know, when we started. I'm a baby boomer and it was, okay, if the boss says that, we do that. Doesn't matter what they do, I do as they say, not as they do. People on the job today, and rightly so, we can all have something to learn from them, want to know the why. Why are we doing this? And police agencies doing something as simple as putting out their news releases, but putting it out internally as well as externally, because once the media gets information, they'll put it out and they might add their spin, they might add their narrative, and then your own people go, well, why did he say that? when maybe that's not what you would actually put out in a news release. So, so many agencies, I say, you know, when, you know, do you put your news releases out internally? No, why would we do that? Because your best cheerleaders are your own people. Um, and then, so let me get to the timeline part. When do you start communicating? You start communicating before the thing happens, internally and externally, right? So before you have the crisis, if we're gonna be focusing on crises, you have to have an established level of trust, openness, honesty. I hate using the word transparency because it's such a, a buzzword, but transparency internally, externally with number of audiences, externally with your community, externally with your elected officials and people that are in charge of you, and externally with the media. So, you know, we have to think about what I talk about as a four-legged stool internal, community, media, electeds. That's how you can survive as a boss in a bad situation. But that trust building has to start before the thing happens. And when the chaos does break out, and it's, as you know, not a matter of if, but when, the communication needs to start immediately because social media will fill a three minute void, a 10 minute void, an hour long void with that bad information. And if you don't seize the narrative and frame the narrative as quickly as possible, then you're going to be busy trying to fix rumors. And that's not going to be helpful to anybody. Yeah, that I mean, I totally appreciate all of that. I think it is a different time uh, in policing today and in America today. And now we have elected leaders on social media criticizing police agency uh, operations, sometimes knowing uh, what really happened, but it's sort of their job to continue the criticism. And uh, that's, you know, how do you fix that? How do you 
do you call in the electeds and say, hey, look, let me give you the whole investigation or or do you counter or do you just let it lie? Yeah, look, you, you, you know you can't do that depending on what an investigation is. Um, you know, elected officials, one, don't have the one, you're probably not secret compliant or could pass, maybe some of them couldn't pass a polygraph. But anyway, um, and they have a different, you know, they're responsible to their constituents. We know the growth of just the, the political movements and the divisiveness there. So, so there's, there's other reasons that they would provide information. But what you do need to have is a good relationship. So building that trust to say to an elected official, hey, you have to trust me as your chief of police. And I've seen, I've been in this business for two decades now, I've seen more and more elected officials sticking their fingers in law enforcement. And it's not good. It's not good for the chiefs. It's, you know, sheriffs actually, um, you know, I never wanted to work for a sheriff. And I'm thinking now working for a sheriff is okay because they're their own elected official. And I don't have to, to worry as much about that. And they truly are responsible to the people. So developing that relationship in advance I think really is important. Um, and then letting them know why. So here's the investigation. This is what I can tell you. And this is why this information have to be, has to be kept confidential. And if you're actually telling an elected official, if I tell you this, then you will have to go to court. You will have to be on the witness stand. You will have to be there like, okay, I don't need to know. I mean, even as someone who is a public information officer for a long time, my uh, my investigators were like, here's the, and I'm like, I don't need to know that. I don't need to know that because I want to be able to tell the truth. And there are very good ways to say, you want us to catch the bad person as much as we do. If I provide that information, it's going to affect the court case. And this is what the change. And then people go, oh, because they don't know. So the more we can do the education in advance, Jim, I think the better off we are. And so many chiefs, and, and I've worked for a lot of brilliant chiefs. Uh, Ed Flynn was one of them in Milwaukee. And I remember when I worked for him as his chief of staff, he, you know, Ed said to me, he goes, Judy, I only wanna talk to elected officials when they're saying, good job, you guys did an awesome job. So, I was the one that was dealing with them on the regular basis when, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Not all bosses have that, that person that, that can play that interference, but establishing those relationships, whether it be every other week, sending out an email to your elected officials, quarterly meetings, one-on-one -on -one with elected officials. Um, many elected officials have um, fire and police commissions that they need to they need to work with because at the end of the day, we all want to live and work in a safe community, to be safe in our homes, to have our kids safe at school, to be safe on the street. We all have the same goal in mind. Just people are looking at it very different ways. Sure. No, I appreciate that and. Still in, in a city, well, like cities that I'm I'm familiar with, sometimes you have that um, police commission that that always that doesn't always agree. And I've had elected officials um, that I dealt with who would say to me, look, I agree, I'll support you, I'll give you financial support in these operations, but when I go to the media, I've got to present this front. Yeah. And you know. 
they they tell you up front this is what i'm going to say to the press and it's going to go counter to what you just told them but i guess it is what it is and you talk about thinking strategically about a communications plan and let me ask you what does that look like uh can a smaller agency maybe can't afford a budget for a civilian uh, PIO or strategist. Uh, can they do that on their own or do they really need to get some outside help? I think they can do it on their own. I think there's enough uh, education out there. There's enough information out there. Uh, just recently, uh, myself and three of my colleagues published something with the, from the cops office that, through the DOJ. Um, I have a lovely copy here strategic, here we are, strategic communications for law enforcement executives. You can download it for free off the COPS website. Um, here's the thing, too often law enforcement focuses on outputs. So how many arrests did we make? How many stops did we make? Well, you know, that kind of stuff. A strategic communication plan focuses on outcomes. So uh, Chuck Ramsey from Philadelphia has, has the best example. He says, you know, you stop 100 people uh, looking for guns. You get one gun off the street. You've pissed off 99 other people. So is that successful or not successful? So that outcome versus output. So what a strategic communications plan does, it really helps bosses because anytime you become, you know, whether you're a sheriff coming into office, whether you're a police chief going into a department or you've been there and you, you put together a strategic plan. Here's where I want to be. You know, two years from now, I want to do this. Every boss does that. And what a communications plan can do is to support that plan. I want to know when I come to an agency, where do you want to be, boss? Where do you want to be in two years, four years, five years? And if they say, well, this is my goal, I can help make that happen by communications. Because often what happens Let's say a, a boss decides they, I mean, almost everybody in the United States has body cams now, but let's say you're a smaller department and you decide that body cams will be a good thing. Just showing up at city council on budget day to say, we need $1.2 million for body cams. There's a good chance that's gonna fail <laughs> because they go, well, what are body cams? I see other people are doing them. Your, you know, your community wants money put with a fire department because that's where everyone loves them um, or public works to fix the, the potholes. But if you develop a, a communications plan, a strategic plan, it really is, I call it the five A's of advocacy. It's really letting people know this is what this is. It starts with an awareness that this is what body cams do. And this is how it's advantageous to you, not us, because no one cares about us. <laughs> everyone wants to know how this is advantageous to me, to my family, to my public safety, to my community, to my constituents. Once you develop that awareness and an advent, like, oh, I think this is a good idea. That's when you can ask them to be your advocates. That's how you create advocacy. So you're not the only boss that goes in the room to says, we'd like to have body cameras. For the past six months, because you've had a strategic comms plan in place, you've been, you've been seeding the story. Man, if we would have had body cams in place, we could have done this. Body cams could have helped us find this. Body cams would have helped us determine this. And when the public sees it's helpful to them, they will then further engage. I had a situation many years ago with my chief who wanted money for MDCs. I mean, this was back before we had computers and cars. 
I didn't know what the heck an MDC was. And he goes, Judy, in eight months, I need $3.4 million. And I'm like, okay, let me see what I can do. And what we did is we seeded the stories and we seeded the stories, not only with, this is what the computer is, because nobody really cares. But when we were able to say, you know, when Aunt Mabel goes missing, um, we can't show our officers a picture of Aunt Mabel until they go to roll call. So we're missing five hours. And there's a, if we had MDCs, Aunt Mabel's picture would be in all, oh yes, that's a great thing. Um, people complaining about speeding at school zones. Well, you know, our officers are coming off the street to write their reports the last two hours of shift, which means coming off just when schools are getting out. If we had the MDCs and cars, oh yeah, what a great idea. Now the police car can be parked at the school crosswalk. So when he showed up to budget eight months later, I'll never forget, he walked in my office and, and after the budget meeting, I said, did you get your money? And he said, I got the money, but I didn't have to say a word. I went, what? And he said, this council person stood up and said something. And then someone in public, you know, public session said, yeah, it's a great idea. And he says, I got all the money. I don't know how you did it. And I went, strategic communication. So strategic communication can truly help bosses. And it's simple. It's like a business plan. You're identifying audiences. You're setting goals and objectives and strategies. You're coming up with a core messaging to develop that brand image for your department, putting in place the tactics to get you there, and then measuring it, looking at outcomes versus outputs. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's a that is a great what's in it for me that you got to hit them right there. And uh, yeah, it works. Hey, I want to talk to you more about possible pitfalls. Oh, by the way, we have your publication link uh, to the PDF in our show notes. So for our listeners and our YouTube people, you can go to show notes and click on the PDF. And I'd like to talk about those pitfalls. But first, I'd like to take a quick moment and thank our sponsors. Officer Store, equipping protectors with passion. That's how we operate, and it's how we live. We understand that having the right gear can mean the difference between life and death. Our goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit us at officerstore.com. And we're back and speaking with Ms. Judy Powell, Communications and Planning what may be the pitfalls of responding to the media immediately after a critical incident, an officer involved shooting, or another crisis event? What is it that chiefs fear most? And you're an insider, you know. What are they telling you? Why are they so reluctant to go on the record? One word, Uvalde. Uvalde. So they did take some time before they responded but they had bad information. Mm. The information that they released was incorrect. They wanted to, to, they hoped that officers had gone in right away, stop the threat. They did not, but they said our officers went in. They said a teacher propped the door open with a rock. Nope. In fact, the governor had to come out and you know do a huge mea culpa because 24 hours later, he was still getting bad information. So my advice, the, the, the pitfall is that, is any good cop, any investigator knows that when you walk into an incident scene, what you think isn't typically what is, right? 
because you walk in and you, you know, the, the media want to know what happens, when did it happen, where did it happen, why did it happen, which is the, your scariest one, um, and what are you doing about it? And sometimes officers feel like they have to answer all that. You don't. What we have to focus on is what we know, not what we think. And oftentimes, especially if it's a chief, in, in, you know, someone who's such, so, so much further um, taken away from the incident, like if you have an incident happening and if you got a sergeant, if you got an incident commander, and now you're the chief having to talk about it, you've missed a lot of the minutia that has happened, whatever, during that incident. And the chiefs feel, and rightly so, that they have to know everything to be able to provide good information. But sometimes the perceptions of the officers on scene providing that update or briefing to the PIO or to the chief, they've added their perceptions. I'll never forget, we had an incident where officers shot a dog and the officers on the scene said to our PIO, the dog was, was, was very aggressive and we were ready to go with that until someone showed us the video of the dog on a dog pole sitting there and the cop shot him. That's the pitfall, right? Mm -hmm. You never ever wanna go with what you think. You have to confirm the information, confirm it twice, because I think the biggest fear of anyone, whether it be a PIO, an incident commander, a, a chief, a sheriff, is providing wrong information and looking bad. The way to, to completely avoid that is talk about what you know. And that's where the crisis communications plans can come in happen, can, can come in very, very handy because you can start talking 30,000 feet. You don't have to be in the weeds when you first start talking because you're essentially setting a narrative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you talk about Uvalde and I mean, gosh, we could do a whole show on that. I think the pitfall pitfalls I've seen are sometimes you'll you'll see a chief talk to someone on the outer perimeter, and by now this is fourth hand information from something far removed from reality, and and they'll go with that because it sounds good at the time. I'll tell you when I heard about the unfolding event at Uvalde, um, first of all, of course, I felt so much empathy and compassion for the victims, the innocent shooting victims. But then I thought about the criticism afterwards of the 400 or so officers present. The criticism was, why didn't any of them counterman the orders and go in and, and do? And I'm, I'm thinking 200 of those officers are outer perimeter doing traffic control, media control, uh, reunification sites, so many other things uh, blamed for this tragedy when you probably could have, you know, pinned the, what went wrong to an individual or maybe a couple of individuals. And so what should be, I guess what I'm asking is what should the chief or the sheriff responding be looking to, um, I mean, without getting, like you say, too far into the weeds, where do they get their best information? Um, and they don't have to know every little detail of what's going on, and they don't want to release all of that to the media. But where should they get their reliable information to give the gist of, you know, coupled with 
it's still under investigation, but this is what we know. Incident commander, look at NIMS and ICS. Where does the public information officer sit? Right beside the incident commander. So that incident commander is the one that should have, and, and if they don't, <laughs> shame on them, uh, should have all the information that they need. And I, I am not a fan of incident commanders doing media updates only because one, they're a little too busy, and two, they have more information that, that than they need. But that uh, police leader, that boss, whoever's talking to the media should be in direct contact with that incident commander. All right, this is what we've got. And again, I think we tend to overthink what our community is looking for. When something bad happens, and, and if, if you remember anything out of our time together, you folks should remember this. When something bad happens, there's three things that people truly care about. Am I okay? Is my family okay? It's the first one. What should I be doing right now? And how is this going to affect me? Truly is, because the world revolves around each one of us singularly. <laughs> but I can tell you right now, if there was a school shooting, and if you're a police officer watching this, and it was in your jurisdiction, those are the three things you're thinking about. And those are the same three things everyone else is thinking about. So if your initial messaging is as simple as, you know, we got the call at this time, we have officers on the way, this is at this school, students in this grade or in this building are affected. This is what you need to do, parent. You need to go there. And, and, and let me just put a little aside here. Stop saying avoid the area. Avoid the area is an open invitation for the world to go down there with their camera and see what's happening. What I want you to do, that's also called avoidance language. I want you to use action language in your messaging that says, parents, we need you to go here. Officers, we need you to go here. This is what is happening right now. So if you can answer those three questions and really start, no matter what is happening, you have to really start your messaging with showing that you actually care what's happening. So that is a big one that a lot of people miss. So I, I, I'm a huge uh, a promoter of care action perspective. Let people know you care. Let them know what action you're taking and what action our community needs to take or those involved and perspective. What is the one thing you want people to remember after this is all over? And that, you, that messaging, as long as you're talking about what you know is going to get you through those first couple hours of a crisis, first couple weeks of a crisis. Yeah, great, great info there. Hey, I want to shift a little bit and talk about internal communications. We talk about what we want to say to the external world, but just as important are our internal communications, aren't they? Yeah, we, you know, we touched on it very briefly at the beginning of our time together. It's really important now that, that people know what's going on within an agency. Unfortunately, as we gain more years on the job, we become more and more cynical. And sometimes when you become a boss, you forget how cynical the people are that you're trying to communicate to. And if we don't communicate well, they're going to assume the worst possible motive for any decision you make. You know, you decide that you're going to have a, a, a no pursuit policy and you put that in place without talking and engaging.
engaging with and getting input, every cop that you have is going to say, you know, chief just wants us to die. All the bad guys are going to wait. How are we going to do? As opposed to saying, we've got the technology in place now to keep you safe, because that's the most important thing, to keep people in our community safe. And this is what we're going to do. Give us some ideas to help us implement it and get the buy-in. And the other thing bosses need to remember is the most important people in any agency, whether it be a five-person agency or a 50,000-person agency, are your sergeants and your lieutenants. They're the ones that are setting the culture for the entire agency. Once you, you know, once you start wearing the white shirt above that lieutenant rank, you know, you're you're part of you're part of the problem. <laughs> you're part of the bosses. So what we really need to do, and, and all bosses should do this, is really open the chain of communication. And some bosses, some cop bosses say, well, Judy, we're a paramilitary organization. We can't do that. If SEAL teams can do that, we can do that. Um, we have to get better, whether it's a weekly missive from the chief desk that you, you know, type out and send out via email, whether it's a video you put out to roll call, whether it's management by walking around, which is really important and we don't do enough of that. We have to let people know when things are happening. And the simple stuff, if you're telling the media, tell your people first, because not only will they go home and tell folks, but think about this way. Even though a cop might not have a social media presence, their kids, their spouses, their loved ones will. And if they don't have the correct information about deciding on a non-pursuit policy, all of that larger group, and I, I include family and friends in that internal communication, will be putting out information that's incorrect. So let's get our people the right information and engage with them. Because you know what? Best ideas come from the people that are on our streets. So let's engage with them and, and get get some more input. Yeah, 100% with you on all of that. And <clears throat> I was going to ask you, how, do, how does a leader do that in a large agency, whereas in a small agency, they can hop in a radio car and drive around and, and talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, policy changes or something that's happening that they're, they're, they're not communicating. But it reminded me of, in my large agency, 1,900 police officers, um, the leaders have to be aware of the nonverbal communication and what their troops are seeing. And in one instance, um, I had a disagreement with a captain at a scene who wanted to go do some action that was going to expose officers to um, liability as well as physical injury. <clears throat> So we talked back and forth about objectives, and I thought about it as externally, people probably see us as arguing, and we're doing this in front of a platoon of officers, right? So once we were finished, I took the opportunity to go back and address the platoon. And it, it's unusual, but to get them to semi-circle and explain to them what was going on, I felt as a police officer standing watch on a corner, at a perimeter, uh, not knowing what was going on for hours at a time, that was the most frustrating. So for a leader to recognize those situations and then go on and like you're talking about externally talking to the media and the, and the community, we need to do that within our own um, agency, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And and you're you know, people want to know, especially again, young people coming on the job today, what is my role here? Um, I, I want to matter. I want what I do to matter, and I want you to listen to me. And let me tell you, young people coming on the job today know a heck of a lot more about a lot of stuff than than us old farts do. And you know, I loved working with the NYPD. I mean, it was extraordinary. You're dealing at that time, 56,000 employees, 32,000 or 36,000 cops. And it was, it was while I was there and, you know, this was kind of serious. We had a, we had a, a rash of suicides. And when the first one happened, I read about it in the paper. When the second one happened, I read about it in the paper. So and I went to the commissioner and, and it was Commissioner James O'Neill at the time. And I went, sir, why are we reading about this in the paper? We're, we're, we're family. And, and, and Jimmy O'Neill, for anyone who knows him, he bleeds blue. He was the most, such a dedicated cops cop leader. And he said, well, what do you want me to do? Put out an email? And I went, yeah. And it was, a, it was like, what? I said, I want to hear from you. I want to, and he goes, well, we can't say a whole lot. I said, but we can say that we've lost a family member to suicide. We, we can say if you're, you know, anyone who's, who's done work with suicide prevention, our goal is to prevent the second and the third and the, and the fourth when something like that happens. We can say if you're, you know, if you're experiencing stress, if you're experiencing anything, there's help out here for you. We can say that stuff. So mm -hmm. that's what he implemented. But it was just doing that thinking outside the box that no longer are we, don't say anything. We, we want to share that information. And there is a spot for that paramilitary. There is a spot when you're dealing with an active shooter or you're dealing with a significant incident that you don't ask questions. But, you know, SEAL team leaders, um, there's a great book called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. And he talks about SEAL team leaders and they have these discussions. But as soon as that SEAL team leader gives that code word, whether it's on me or whatever, everyone goes, now we're paramilitary, now we follow orders. We can do this. We can, we can be much better internal communicators. And what we end up doing with that, we're gonna improve morale. Morale's never gonna be great for cops because we're cynical, but we can improve morale and we can improve our effectiveness and our efficiency. Happy cops equal happy, happy communities. And everyone talks about recruiting. We need to make more attention to retention. Why are people leaving? It's not just the public narrative. It's because cops don't feel appreciated. And most people leave because of their immediate supervisor. So what are we doing to train all of our folks to communicate better? And that goes back to the first question, who needs to communicate well? Everybody, as soon as you get that first strike on your arm, you need to be a better communicator. Oh, and by the way, Every cop has to be able to communicate well with their community. Yeah, absolutely. And leadership by example, so key. The troops are watching. If you ever show up to a hospital for a victim, uh, you better show up to every officer in a hospital bed injured in the line of duty. Um, I mean, that's one of the biggest complaints I've seen from officers saying, hey, wait a minute, they're showing all this empathy and sympathy for crime victims or even crime offenders maybe at times. And when has that chief or sheriff ever gone to an officer hurt in a collision or a shooting or some other um, uh, incident? And I tell you, all eyes are on your leaders. 
That's that's shocking to me, Jim. I, I've never heard that. Thank God I've worked for great cops and leaders that were always there at the bedside. Um, wow. One of the things, um, I was recently in Philadelphia uh, doing work with all their captains. And one of the things I asked leaders to do, I said, you know, I need you to sit down for half an hour and to think about what is my legacy as a leader? What do I want people to, to remember me for? And what are the three to five characteristics that I want people to know about me? So when you as a boss walk into roll call, they go, oh, that's the boss that cares about this because they will care about what you care about. So if you decide that empathy and professionalism and, and attention to detail are your things, that's what your people will do. And even when it comes to, I know, you know, we're getting low on time here, but even when it comes to the way you wear your uniform for Pete Six, if you decide that you wanna focus on professionalism, then look professional. Uh, Tony Batts in Baltimore was awesome. Um, you know, in Baltimore, you know, they talked about sun's out, guns out, right? As soon as it starts getting warmer, they go to short sleeve shirts. And at an executive team meeting, our very first one, Tony walks in and he's got the tie and the long sleeve shirts with, I mean, you could cut yourself on the creases because he was that guy. And he, he looks around the table and everyone's sitting there in short sleeve shirts. And he's like, mm. next meeting, everybody was there in long sleeve shirts with their ties on. If you're gonna be in an executive meeting, you will look like an executive. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Everyone is looking at you and communication is, you know, we believe with our eyes before our ears. So people believe what they see. Right, absolutely. Hey, I want to thank you for your valuable time. And uh, I know you've written articles and you've got your publication. Again, it's in our show notes. Just as important for leaders as it is for line officers to know about their communication strategies, what they should be saying and what they should be doing. Thanks for being on the show, Judy Powell. What are you up to these days? Um, all kinds of travel. Uh, that's all I can say. I'm all over the country. I'm doing a lot of international stuff as well, which I love, uh, really focusing on talking to bosses. So I think, you know, even though I've trained PIOs for many years, they can't do their job if the boss doesn't get it. So spreading the word amongst the leaders and the up and coming leaders is my focus and, uh, and thrilled to play any role that I can to, uh, to advance our profession and, and regain that shine um, that we had back in the day because the, the good men and women of law enforcement absolutely deserve it. So thank you uh, for your time. Okay, I appreciate it. And we're going to be following up with you on what's happening in law enforcement and communication. And yeah, little by little, I think we're getting there. To Thanks to people like you. Appreciate it. Hey, to our listeners, thanks for listening. And uh, let me know what you think. Drop me a line at policingmatters at policeone.com and love to hear what you have to say and who you want to hear from and what you want to hear about. All right, make sure you're checking us out on audio on the podcast or on the video version on YouTube as well. All right, hey, take good care and hope to get, hope to talk to you again real soon. <laughs>